Welcome back to System and Distrivia, the podcast where we definitely, definitely delay and do not mean to. We're coming back strong. We've got some some pretty good content here, I think, lined up. I'm Jonathan. This is Brent. Uh, Jayvon's also sick. He's he's on the tail end of, of the bubonic plague. So <laughs> yeah. you shouldn't say that. That's uh, <laughs> people are actually getting that. The bubonic yes. plague. It's been all over the news because it's like the first cases and uh, so there is actually a treatment for it and this is my little molecular bio degree coming out here. Um, But it presents itself more or less like the flu and by the time you actually realize that it's a plague, the plague, most people have the meningitis-like symptoms bad enough and they, they can't do anything, they die. And thus is the only time Jathan ever will use his degree. <laughs> That's not true. I use my degree at work every day now. It might be worth saying, I don't know how long I'm going to be a sysadmin anymore. I'm going to have to find a way to replace you then. I know. I don't know what's going to happen with my job right now. Like, I am enjoying being a sysadmin, but they really want me to kind of move into like a slight bioinformatician role. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. What is an informatician? Uh... A bioinformatician is basically someone that manipulates biological data, you know, unique analyses and stuff like that. And you actually... You're a data scientist. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Um, so if you're interested in being on a podcast... No, no. I'm I'm not ready to give it up yet. I don't know what's going to happen. So we just have to wait and see. Yeah. Assuming, assuming you know, you, you head in that direction. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, so we're... We're talking about network monitoring, such as uh, Nagios, for those familiar. We're talking about breaking into the IT industry and how you can maybe become self-focused to do that. We talk about config management systems, which is probably the bane of all of our existence. I don't know about y'all, but I hate it. Uh, The FCC and their just absolute madness with custom firmware for wireless routers, consumer wireless routers and programming languages and how they would relate to a sysadmin, you know, in, in the line of duty of a sysadmin or a systems engineer or whatever. So I'm going to start this off, contrary to what Jathan wanted to do, uh, I'm going to start this off with monitoring. I'm flipping you off, can you see? I can't because we have no webcam up. So there's, there's some big names on the market and some smaller names. I'd say maybe... Nagios and Xenos. I don't. I didn't put Xenos on the list, but I'll put it in the show notes. Xenos is probably on its way out. Nagios is kind of like the industry standard, at least in terms of like software in-house monitoring stuff. Does your Does your firm use any in-house monitoring? We have Nagios, mm-hmm. and we had Xenos for a while. Mm-hmm. Xenos. Uh, just didn't take off because we didn't take the time to configure it properly. So it was kind of just like, oh, well, why bother? Oh, it's super complex. It's not actually super complex. Compared uh, to Nagios? Xenos was super easy to install. It, okay, compared to Nagios, yes. Yeah. But it offers sort of a lot more. Like the dashboards that Xenos presents, like the actual it, web interface. It is slick as hell. Is really nice. So if you take yeah. the time to actually configure Xenos, it's super nice. And the other thing you can do with Xenos is, you know, Nagios pops up a little red flag and says, hey, this is happening. Nagios can actually, uh, not Nagios, I'm sorry, Xenos can actually act on that. Um, so Xenos mm-hmm. has the capability to send commands over a secure shell. So you could actually say, like, if this computer CPU 
increases from 80 degrees Celsius to 90 degrees Celsius over this time frame, just shut the box down, send a kill command, because we don't want to risk any hardware damage. And that's I mean, something... I would maybe just start throttling things instead of shutting the whole box no, down. I, I know, it's kind of an extreme example, but you could do that, is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, you you could do both really with with yes uh, yes with Xenos. Xenos is really configurable in terms of uh, you get a lot more data back from machines than you do with uh, with Nagios. Mm -hmm. But you uh, have to put a lot more into it for sure. Yes, but because of how much data you're getting back, you have that many more ways of configuring what you do with the data and how you interact back with the machine at that point. Right, right. That's also and Xenos is pretty extensible in the sense that it can be used to monitor anything that supports SNMP, which I know Nagio mm -hmm. supports more than just like a computer as well. You know, like we have this temperature alert device that's kind of like, it's just called temperature. It's like an at sign at alert. And it basically just monitors temperature and there's a water sensor. So we would know if like the server room was flooding mm -hmm. and it supports SNMP. So it's on our Xenos dashboard. There's a, there's a lot of stuff out there that does SNMP, so that's that's definitely a plus. I think there are some Nagios modules for various SNMP stuff, but... Yeah, there is, um, for sure. You know, I mean, it, Xenos definitely... Look, if, if you have someone you need to impress with the clicky shiny, like a CTO or, or a board member or something... Xenos is going to be the way to go. It is. It looks sexy. It's It's just got a great look to it. A lot of information right at your fingertips. If you're just trying to check if a box or a service or a daemon is up, uh, Nagios is, is going to be the way to go for that. But Yeah, I agree. What I was going to say, and it kind of adds on to what you just said, is Xenos pr uh, presents you with something that visually is, one, more appealing, but not even that. I think it's more useful to look at. Uh, it updates in real time the dashboard, and it's very easy to look at and say, okay, these are my issues, and not specifically like or not necessarily just this machine, but it's this machine, this service, and only the service that's running on this port, for example, mm. is very specific. So I think if you're monitoring a lot of stuff and you take the time with Xenos, you actually have the advantage of getting a much clearer picture of what is going wrong or what's going right based on the dashboard than you get with Nagios. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there's there's other ones too. So there, there's basically a Nagios port pretty sure it's Nagios that they forked from, uh, called... Now, it's spelled like Isinga, and that's how I usually pronounce it, but the proper pronunciation is like uh, Singa or something? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those... Uh, one of those African languages that I, I, I can't recall off the top of my head right now, uh, where they use the, the click con consonants. So they use that in the name, but nobody can pronounce that, so just call it Isinga and you're fine. I think it's written in C. Um, it's I know it's got a lot of improvement over Nagios and yeah. And I spoke. I think that's actually what we use at work, not Nagios, okay. but Isinga. I okay. Think. I mean, they're they're more or less the same thing. Like if you've used one, you can probably get your way around yes. the other. Yeah. If you are looking to implement, especially a new Nagios implementation. Go with Isinga instead. I mean, you're, it's just going to make your life a lot easier. Um, and I think it is backwards compatible with Nagios, at least Nagios 2, question mark. Believe so. And, you know, Nagios plugins are going to work fine with Isinga. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've, it's, it's kind of like the whole Maria DB versus my sequel thing, you know. There's this new thing, tries to be totally compatible with the old one while still totally improving on it. Um, and that's, that's what I think it aims to do with Nagios. And then there's Ganglia, which I've never used at all. Also have at work. Oh, really? We actually have a lot of monitoring. Okay. I don't interact with it much because, <clears throat> well, I don't have to. It emails me like 900 <clears throat> times a day. <laughs> right. But, uh, what is, what is Ganglia? <laughs> okay. I don't know anything about Ganglia. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know that we have an instance somewhere and I think it's mostly for clusters, right? I don't know why you're asking me. I've never. I'm heard pretty of it. sure it's aimed more or less at clusters, and I don't actually think it tells you much other than a host is up or down. But it gives you statistics about like load on the cluster, CPU load, oh, so like network a, activity, so an overall kind of a thing. Yeah, it's pretty general. So okay. our ganglia stuff is actually public in the sense that cluster users can see the graphs and stuff. Okay. So it's not really used for monitoring so much as information, like oh, the cluster is really busy right now. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but it draws, you know, like your typical graphs like Nagios would or anything else. Now, I, th I think Jathan put Cacti on this list. I added RRD tool and also added a note that the, they aren't actually monitoring. They're for graphing. Right. But they go hand in hand with the yeah. monitoring. Yeah. They are almost always dependencies of all these other ones uh, that let you build time graphs and, and up-down status graphs and things like that. And then there's there's third-party monitoring services. I personally am not so much a fan of these, just because they they usually leave a fair bit to be desired. Because it's at worst, it's like, all right, I can ping the host or I can't ping the host. At best, it's like, does this server, does this HTTP service return this certain string when I made a when I make a GET request to it? You know. You can't really dig super deep down. You can't be like, oh, the, the response time for this call is XYZ, whereas this response for this other call is, is, you know, you can't really build out your own custom stuff. But I guess that's the price you pay for external monitoring. It does give you the benefit, of course, of having externally corroborated service. So if you're looking for like SLA verification, that would probably be where you want to go. The two I know of uh, and have interacted with in the past are pingdom and node have you heard of spiceworks yes i have heard of spiceworks i can't believe i didn't put that on the list i don't i kind of see spiceworks as a joke at this point you know yeah me too i mean i, I uh, kind of always did that's all i'm gonna say about that is yeah me too with uh, i mean if you're if you're stuck using it it's it's all right i guess but there's there's i think there's better options out there you know, they spend a lot more money on marketing than they do on actual quality control and, and features and things like that. Right. So well, that's about all I have in terms of specifics. Uh, I guess the only other thing I'd say in general about monitoring is if you don't have it, in most cases, you should, at least on a basic level. At least for production. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not telling you to go out and download Xenos and configure every single trap you possibly could. But at the very least, get like a Nagios implementation, which is definitely way easier and at least be able to get an overview of what's happening on your network at any given time. Or, or even like Pingdom or something. I know Noping has an API and works with something called pushover.net. They've got a great little app that does push notifications to your uh, your Android app. And I think there's one for uh, iOS as well. So that's pretty handy. It irks me about getting text message alerts. I like having my own dedicated app for that, you know? Yeah, um, I was thinking to cut down on our email load, we could actually do uh, 
XMPP with offline support. That way, you know, oh, yeah. I'm going somewhere for the weekend. I can't really turn off all of my email, but at least I could turn off this one service on my phone, you know? And i fairly certain, I think Nagios has support for that. I, they do, and does. so does Xenos. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there's some third parties that can implement that. Um, I don't know if Pingdom has an API. I'm pretty sure they do as well. I haven't used it, though. I've just used the NodePing one. That's all I have for this. I don't yeah, know. that's about all I got. I, uh, I'm i not like the monitoring guy. I just interact with it when I have to. And like I said, I get plenty of emails. I probably got one, at least one, since we've been sitting here. So I, I've, I've gotten a couple, yeah. <laughs> I have my phone on silent, though. So I just keep looking over and see my phone blinking. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. It's all right. Some one of the other admins is around. He'll take care of it. I'm just going to quickly mention this because Jathan didn't even want this in the episode. The Linux Foundation has a training program, uh, and they have a free ebook. They call it an ebook. I call it a pamphlet. It's like eight pages long, but it is very handy on giving you some very basic, like bottom level stuff that you need to know if you're looking to get into the the Linux sysadmin field. A lot of it is general advice, but it's it is admittedly like Linux system admin centered. So I mean, they they have a lot of uh, recommendations for which courses they offer that you should take to get you on a, a great track towards that career. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna post a link up to that. Have you taken any of those courses, Jathan? No, and I, I remember when I first found this link and sent it to you, I asked you, like, hey, do these courses actually hold any weight? And it kind of seemed like you didn't think that they did. I, it depends on what you mean by weight. If you're looking to learn and you know nothing about Linux and you just wake up one day and be like, you know what, I want to be a Linux sysadmin. Well, I don't know why. That. First, maybe you might want to see a psychiatrist, but if you're still dead set on that, um, I it... it is a great start for that. Now, what do I think their certifications and their uh, their courses hold any weight on actual resumes slash CVs? No, I don't think so. I think you know, like that's going to be all experience based. At some point, you need to break in somewhere. Yeah, that's and you the can thing. do that with with community involvement too. Yeah, so. and so we still haven't really had our episode where we want to talk about uh, certifications. certifications. Yeah, I know. I keep trying to get interview scheduled but nobody wants to do them so ah man i don't know i know we've talked about it before but it'd be so cool if we could like help people learn their way around more than we do well we we try to do that in the irc channel right but i mean it'd be cool if we went off and did like a video series or something i don't know maybe. Uh, i'm extremely charismatic people would really learn a lot <laughs> <laughs> okay um Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> All right, <but> moving along. <laughs> I I bring that up sort of as like a a precursor to our next major topic point, uh, which is finding work. You know, it's I'm just going to say this flat out. It is really really hard to just jump right into a Linux admin position. You have you kind of have to cut your teeth. A yeah, little I was bit. super fortunate to fall into the opportunity that I did, and I don't even know how it happened. So. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how exactly I got here. But if I had to do it again, I would I would probably go this route. You want to start off as a freelancer in your free time. Moonlight, you know. Don't don't quit your day job yet. It takes some time. You need to build up your skills, build up your your experience because that is what is going to go on your CV for a sysadmin position. 
you're, you're not a developer. Like a CS degree that means jack shit to a, a good manager, a good hiring manager at an IT place. They know that's shit, you know, for, for admins and engineers. They're going to be looking for the experience. Don't limit yourself to actually doing, you know, if you want to ultimately be some kind of like network engineer, don't limit yourself to freelance jobs that are focused around like, oh, I have this networking problem. Can someone fix it? No, take whatever you can get. Even if it's something like I've been doing some technical writing through um, Upwork, which we will talk about here in a little bit, maybe, is just all about getting your name out there and having something that you can show to someone and say, hey, I did this. Yeah, yeah, get that name out there. Um, the The first thing an employer is going to do is Google your name, do a Google search on your name. Uh, I mean, that's that's how it is in this, in this day and age. If you Google my name, I'm pretty sure you're going to see a bunch of I, you know what? Let's do it right now. Brent, Some sorry. asshole lawyer in New Jersey stole my name. <laughs> I don't think he stole your name. Uh, the first one is my LinkedIn, which has all my ex past experience and stuff, so that's good. Second is my personal Twitter, which I don't really use much at all. Um, oh, third one is a WordPress I haven't used since 2008. That is embarrassing. Oh, but my personal site, my personal site is, like, my personal professional site is one, two, three, four fifth one down that's not too bad and then i got my resume six down and my google plus which i don't really use so i mean i've got i've got some stuff on the second page of results that's when you start seeing some interesting stuff like my stack overflow yeah make sure you you at least in the first three results you get your professional related resources in there whether it's a linkedin which i hate it's the myspace of businesses and jobs but you know what it's a necessary it, it's a necessity what are you doing? What does that sound? <laughs> I was just sliding my foot along the carpet to stretch my knee out. Oh my god. It sounds like you're dragging a body around. <laughs> like a, It sounds horrible. What was I saying? Right. So you want to make sure that your name on a, a quick search, like the top three results, gets you in the door. Gets them at least knowing that you're serious about this and that you've put some time into this. That... Uh, you know, like, so that, that being said, I'd say after that, you want to start building up a reputation. So join your local lug, um, contribute to it often, get involved with other tech related nonprofits, get a job as a junior system in somewhere, you know, it all comes with time and you need to not be afraid to make mistakes and take risks. I think not much. Uh, I mean, I was able to get a job as a sysadmin while I was still a student. I, I mean, I still am a student. I'm finishing up my senior year now. And somehow, I shouldn't say somehow. So what you said is completely validated, actually. I applied for a position along with some like computer and electrical engineers, and I beat them out because I had experience. Yep. And it was, it was simple things like, oh, he helped manage the Ubuntu Pennsylvania calendar at some point in his life. Well, at least he was trying and, you know, Oh, he ran Gentoo on his personal machine and his VPS, and he knows how to obviously install OpenVPN. Well, that's a plus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it all counts. Personal projects, whatever you can dig your hands into on your free time, just for the hell of it, is all helpful. Because you for can sure. put it on your resume. And as much as I hate GitHub, it is really well Google indexed. So make commits to GitHub for other projects, you know, offer uh, pull requests. Um, host your own, mirror your own code there. Don't host it there, but mirror it there. I'll talk about that later on, but I, I think 
relying on a third party for being the main host for your code is stupid. Source but Forge. mirroring is no. Well, yeah, exactly. That's that's <laughs> case in point. Yeah. SourceForge could have been anything. Could have been GitHub. Could have been GitLabs. You know. So I mean, that's that's what I'm getting at. Is is mirror it. Just do stuff to to get your name out and there. find something you like. Find a, an open source project yeah. that's like you're about, and it's that much easier to actually want to contribute. For sure. And in the process, yeah. you're just going to pick up skills and stuff like that. Even if it's like fixing their documentation, because let me tell you, <laughs> uh, a lot of them could use it. But even if it's just simple as fixing documentation, you really don't need to code. You can just look through fixed typos. That still counts as a pull request. That still gets your name out there in the index, you know? Um, do all those things. Once you feel like you've built up a pretty good reputation, then you can start looking for like gigs, like freelance gigs. I know of freelancing.stackexchange.com, Odesk, and Elance, and freelancer.com, I think, is, is the other one. Did you know of any, JFon? I think you were... Yeah, so I, I mentioned Upwork, which I don't know if Odesk bought Upwork or if Upwork bought Odesk, but they're one of uh, the same the- now. They're the same? Okay. Yeah. So there's actually still two websites, but they're in the process of merging everything right now. Hmm. So I've actually kind of avoided it like the plague because it's just been slow and not very helpful. Mm-hmm. And the sorting has been kind of weird. Like things just don't look how they should. Um, right. But Upwork, I've had three or four jobs now that I've gotten paid for through Upwork. There you go. And you're not going to make bank the first time you do it. Nope. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. But... but- But on a positive note, the second job that I took was with one person, and they're like, hey, we're going to pay you, and it's not going to be that much. But if we like you, you can do it again, and that's what's happened now. So numbers three and four were with the same person that number two was. Yeah, it's it's building that clientele. Um, You can even use them down the road as references when you try and get a steady job in the field, you know? It's all about building that reputation, man, building that name. That's that's kind of all I have to say. I would, if you're new to freelancing, I would definitely hit the freelancing stack exchange first because that has a lot of useful questions that are already answered for you that you probably are asking yourself. You know, how do I manage billing? How do I collect on payments? How much should I charge up front? And then you know, save for after the job is completed. All sorts of really helpful stuff. That's that's probably going to be your primary resource, um, which is a bit ironic. You know, it's, it's not finding clients. It's it's self-managing. But that's that's a really important, important practice. You need that character, that self-motivation, I think, to really succeed in our field. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to move on then. We're going to talk about Jathan's favorite thing, config management. Woo. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna Jathan mostly lead this one because he complains about it in general more than I do. <laughs> That's not um, true. But I mean, then again, I'm also the guy that strongly suggests that really, like, you just need PDSH and shell right. scripts. Yeah. So obviously, the point of config management, uh, I always oversimplify my explanation a little bit, but I'm gonna do it again. So you can think of config management as making sort of this. Uh, just imagine a page-long document of statements, like plain English statements, like I want the user Jathan to exist on machine A, and I want BTS to exist on machine B, and you could even make a statement that was false. I definitely do not want user XYZ to exist on machine C. And, you know, as you can see, that could apply to just about anything, not just users, but I want this route to exist, I want this network interface to be down all the time or whatever it may be. Um, and so what config management does or what the principle is, is that that, uh, Can you say, uh, I want this user to stop asking stupid questions. 
<laughs> no, that one doesn't work. No. Sorry. Someone should write that module. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. I guess the, <laughs> the one thing is you could just delete them and uh, assume they're not going to have any questions if they can't access the system. But, of course, <laughs> the logical next question would be, why don't I have access? At which point you have to explain that they're morons. So. Well, then you're blocking from the ticket system. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry, uh, move on. No, it's fine. So, basically what config management systems do is take that checklist, transform it into something that make sense to a computer and then make sure that all those statements are true or false based on what you said. So um, for me personally, I can only talk extensively about Puppet because that's what I use at work. When I sat down and interviewed for the job that I have now, they actually said, have you ever heard of Puppet? And I said, no. And they said, well, you better start reading. <laughs> and that was like the parting words of wisdom from my interview. Puppet is extremely extensible. There's tons of modules that people have written. It's really easy to write your own modules. There are people that have entire careers and all they do is write puppet modules. They're puppet engineers, basically. So config management is a big deal because it has the potential to save you time. And of course, if you're a business, saving time is usually equated to saving money. So the goal of config management is not necessarily to manage every single aspect of your, your workflow or your systems, but to take the most common tasks that you that you do or that take up the most time and use the config management tools available to you to not have to do so much work or to save yourself time. So, I mean, I don't really know what else to say in terms of like what the purpose is. Cause I think at this point you get the purpose. Um, I get what it tries to do. I just don't think any of them do a good job of it. I don't know. I, I work in an environment where we have two, and I know I've said this before, but we have two large clusters that are mm. used for like compute intensive workflows and stuff like that. And we're talking like protein modeling, genomics work, analyses of all sorts of chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. And I just don't see how using PDSH would be more effective than using Puppet. So PDSH, for those of you who don't know, is like a distributed shell, basically. Yeah, it's, it's like D-shell, dancer shell. Um, except it does it in parallel. Right. So, yeah. A lot faster, obviously. Uh, I mean, like, you just PVSH out, tell them to fetch the new script and run it. Like, I, you just keep it a, a script repository fetchable via HTTPS with authentication or something. Right. You know? And see, I go both ways. I understand what you're saying. I also understand that there's, like, a barrier of entry to using config management. Like, Puppet... It's essentially its own language that I had to learn to work at, at BioFrontiers, and I'm still learning it. I mean, we're in the process now of refactoring our Puppet server and to move to a newer version and a new physical server as well. And, you know, jumping a major version, I'm learning all over again some things, but there's just certain things about it, like, for example, um, actually, I think one of the best examples of a good Puppet module is... ZFS for me right now. And the reason is ZFS, if you're not familiar with Open Indiana or Solaris or whatever you're running, you're definitely not going to know the commands to do things within ZFS. But if you know Puppet language, you can look at the ZFS module and read the descriptions of the different parameters and make a change probably more easily with Puppet than you could using ZFS commands because you don't actually know them. Why can't you just do man ZFS progs or whatever it's called? I mean, you could, but that's 
that's the thing is you're taking a lot more time to do that. Whereas if you can read the puppet module in it in a pretty easy and quick fashion, you're going to save yourself a lot of time that way. So, so let me get straight. You have to learn an abstraction level with its own documentation because you don't have the time to read the documentation for the core utility. Absolutely. And I mean, zero I'm not saying that's like, that's not something I necessarily do because I could manage ZFS without Puppet if I really wanted to, but. But I mean, if that's, if that's like the benefit you're going for, I don't understand. Well, it though. not everyone would say that's an advantage, but I would say that's an advantage because if you take the time to learn Puppet as a language, I think that you can more easily manage certain things with Puppet than you could managing the service or resource itself. All I'm saying. No, whatever. I don't care what you think. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree or disagree with the concept. You know what the difference is between yours and mine then? Is I can can do my bash and PDSH setup on a vanilla box. I can get it from 0 to 60 in one step. One involvement from me, and that's run the script. Hell, I can cron it. I can turn it up, have it show up in the Mac list for the DHCP server, build my client's list off of that. I, like, I can have all that automated. I can literally plug the thing in, and within 24 hours, or 6 hours, or however long it takes to run the, the configuration process, it's done. It's in production. I agree with that. And we can do the same thing with Puppet, but that's because we've taken the time to script installing Puppet. You still got to run the script for every box. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not... I'm, I, I'm saying I literally can plug a, a machine... With the setup I'm, I'm supporting here, I literally can plug a machine in, l- walk away, and it will be configured by the time I walk back to it. You know, like, I... I understand what you're saying. And I'm not saying, like, had I been at BioFrontiers when they decided that they were going to start using Puppet, I don't know that I would have been on board with it, but... At this point, it is a necessary evil. I can't just say, well, we're doing away with this now. And so that's the thing is, you know, I'm talking about this and I seem kind of biased, but realistically, like for my own things, I would never do this to myself. (laughs) So don't get the wrong idea. Um, Yeah, the only other thing is like you could cron your PDSH scripts or whatever or your configuration scripts. The nice thing about Puppet is it's smart enough in some cases to... um, uh, hell, I don't know. Like, see, this isn't even a good argument. I, every time we talk about this, I know, but I know, I know, I know. Um, it's hard for me to argue, you know, for or against config management because it's another abstracted layer. It's like trying it to argue is. with a C guy when you're a Python guy why Python is better than C, right? And so the because it's not no the only thing you got go- no 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 it's like, easier and that's you got it going there it's easier yeah it is easier but my my stance is if you can't if you can't write bash scripts and manage it with pdsh for 200 plus servers you are in the wrong industry i know that may seem kind of harsh but like i i believe it because the whole chef and puppet and ansible and all that bullshit that came out of the devops movement and I think DevOps is stupid. <laughs> I think maybe I should backtrack a little bit. It's cool having such direct access to the developers and vice versa, but you should not try and make de- developers admins and vice versa. They are separated for a reason. Let developers write the fucking code and let the admins script the fucking shit. 
let us make stuff that does stuff and let them make stuff that does stuff <laughs> in their own ways, you know? What uh, they're trying to do... Getting angry. The, I am. I'm get, I, I get super angry about this. You know, do you know why? It's a threat to my career. Because companies think developers can do the jobs of admins and, engin- and system engineers, so they hire them to do that job, plus regular coding, and then what happens? What happens, Jathan, when, that, when, when they hire them to do that? Shit gets broken. Shit gets broken and compromised. Yeah. Okay, so, I, I don't know. The only other thing I think that, that Puppet or Chef or Ansible has going for it is sort of this idea, it, it like an inclusion. So, like, if I make a, a Puppet manifest that's applied to a specific machine, and this is mm-hmm. getting into some specific terminology for Puppet, but, you know, if you care to look it up, go ahead, look it up. But basically, a manifest is like that checklist I mentioned before. If I make a, a manifest for a machine and it's a web server, maybe I have a manifest then that's dedicated to a web server and I can just say, okay, include web server. And I don't have to go through the process of including Apache and MySQL and Surewall all separately. That will just automatically be done. I'm saying that's you can do the same thing in a bash script though. That's my entire point. I I agree. I agree. Like you're I honestly you're, honest to god, I think that what I'm trying or a python script, but that's that's going to require more dependencies, which is why I would avoid it. I would just that's why I would just stick to vanilla bash. Yeah. No, in any case, I totally get what you're saying. I think yeah. uh, there is some amount of power that comes with using a config management tool that is beneficial in some environments. And there's certain things we do with it that are really nice, but at the same time, I am fairly confident that everything that we do with Puppet could be done without Puppet. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I feel resources. like that's 99% of implementations of all config management. Probably. I am... I'm not disagreeing. I've, I have been and am in a situation where uh, we use Spacewalk, which is basically the open source satellite uh, for config management, package management, things like that. Um but the problem is, it's a huge, beastly thing. It's huge. It, it, it's a monolithic monster of a thing. And it can do some kind of cool stuff. We use maybe 10% of that functionality, if that. And it's all stuff we could easily do. We already have SSH keys on all of our nodes. You know, We already have the entire infrastructure set up to push commands out and push scripts out and run scripts remotely and things like that. But instead, we use this monolithic thing that we only use 10% of the functionality for. And that's that's the issue I have with this is you see this everywhere. You see people implement systems that they don't that they think they need that they really don't. They need ten percent of this thing when really like they could be just fine with something totally minimalistic. I agree. Um, and and ironically, we, I a lot of our time is spent fixing this config management yeah and see that's the thing is i spend so much time fixing puppet and finding workarounds for things that puppet just can't do and you know that i get pissed off at puppet so Mm -hmm. i know sometimes it seems like i defend puppet but and i do but i think that's because i have to i can't just get rid of puppet so i may as well stick up for it when your config management system ends up requiring more fixing not necessarily maintenance you know because like i'm a firm believer and you do something more than one time you should script it so not necessarily maintenance but fixing like break fix if you you spend more time doing that to your config management system than the time you actually save deploying new systems or like reverting a system from backup or something you're doing it wrong 
And that's my The other thing is, um, oh, come on. Oh, so you did say something that was important, though. So in my case, so any config management tool, be it Puppet, Chef, Ansible, whatever the hell you use, adds a layer of abstraction. So mm -hmm. there's two things here that are true. Number one, that can make troubleshooting harder. Mm -hmm. Number two, it can make it easier for certain members of a team to make changes in some cases. That should not be making changes. Uh, okay. In my opinion. I mean... I, I, that's how it's usually used. I can't talk specifically about like my work environment here too much, but... Right, yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably cutting it close with the spacewalk thing, but to be honest... Everybody uses Red Hat or Red Hat-based Linux, and everybody who does that in a uh, large environment uses, uses Spacewalk, Spacewalk or Satellite. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really, you know. Yeah. Um, so, the thing is, for me, is if I had a very well-put-together puppet server mm -hmm. where, you know, user additions and stuff like that were very simple for the rest of my team, it mm -hmm. would ultimately make less strain for me, even though there's that upfront you know, configuring and managing Puppet and everything. Later, it would make it much easier for me because I wouldn't have to take care of all those little things that other people don't currently understand how to do. Right. Yeah. I, and so that, to me, is a big advantage, and that makes it worth it. I still feel like that's a problem unique to treating devs as admins and vice versa. I mean, that's potentially true. I don't know. I, I don't... I just... I see the industry headed in that direction, and I'm like, look, there's a reason they're two different like departments. Have them work together all you want, but don't try and make one the other, and vice and or vice versa. Like, that's only gonna end in heartbreak. I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm gonna move on. Um. So yeah, there's. I'm just gonna throw them out there. There's Chef, which we didn't talk about. Puppet, which Jathan did because he's had a lot of experience with it. Ansible, which everyone keeps trying to get me to use, but I still don't see the appeal of it because to me it's just more or less exactly like Puppet. Um, maybe just more slimline. This, however, is pretty cool. There's rconf. Um, it's generally mostly for just routers, like hardware routers, like Cisco gear and shit, which is pretty cool because there isn't really a whole lot of resources for, th for those kind of gear, you know? Why not? Well, that's a good question. You know, I mean... I mean can't you shell into a, a network equipment just the same as anything It else? depends. It depends which it is. You know, a lot of the older hardware you can only telnet into. Okay, Sometimes wait. you have to use a serial console. Whatever. I have to back up a second. So that's the other yes. thing with Puppet that I should have mentioned and I didn't. The other mm -hmm. thing with Puppet is there's a lot of built-in things that you can do. Like, say um, I want to add a user and I want to create a group for them, but I also want them to be a part of these four other groups. If I'm making them on a Solaris box, I also want to make a ZFS share in a specific place for them. The one mm -hmm. thing is... Uh, you know, if you were doing that all with bash scripts, you would have to write a separate one for each OS. No. Pretty much. No, I would just I would just need to define functions and then write a function to determine which OS. In any case, Puppet does that for you, and it also does Windows, which well, I mean, fuck Windows. Yeah, I, I've never used it. For I don't that. even have to worry about Windows. So I ain't worried about that. But it can um, do it, so yeah, I guess potentially saves yeah, you time all right, in that so sense too. That's that all right so maybe I'll, I'll back up a little bit i guess if you are running a mixed shop where you have to manage windows servers chef or puppet or, or ansible or whatever may make more sense um but i don't know i don't i i have the blessing of only needing to work with linux stuff so i don't see the the benefit of it but our conf is pretty cool i i don't use it for anything really yet 
but but check it out. I'll I'll post a link on the notes as we always do, and we'll we'll do it for all these other stuff we're we're all these other software we're mentioning. But um, give it a look over. I mean, it's it's it. They have this weird thing where you have to sign up to get the source code, uh, and I, I kind of get a gross feeling about that. But uh, it is open source, and it's 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 pretty cool. I, I I'd say give it a check out. It's it's definitely worth looking at, especially if you're an admin in the NOC or a network engineer. But I'm going to move on. Are you ready to move on? Yeah, I'm ready to move on. Okay. Yeah. I'm... If you want to talk puppet specifically, come find me on IRC. Yeah. Yeah. Talk talk to Jathan about it because I'm sick of it already. He loves to rant about puppets, so talk to him. <laughs> I'm going to skip around a little bit because we've only got two major topics left. So the FCC is trying to, and we'll post a link to to some more information on this so you can get the the full background. But they're essentially trying to do what amounts to banning custom firmware for consumer routers. So like DDWRT, OpenWRT, uh, theoretically Android may be even affected because it also uses the, you know, you can use the, the phone as a an access point. So, I mean, there's a lot of implications here. Uh, they basically want to say, we, we need to guarantee you to guarantee that there's no way users can modify their router uh, to run on these forbidden wireless channels. Right. So channels, what, 12 through 16? I don't actually know what they are, but... I think it's, I think it's 12 through 16 or 13 through 16, something like that. It, it's, a, it, you know, higher end. Um, I know 16, I'm pretty sure you can only use in Japan. But regardless, um, p- you know, people in the U.S. are using these channels, which the FCC has uh, blacklisted for reserved for limited use. Um, they're, they're, you're not supposed to be able to use them in the U.S. Normally, it's fine and dandy, um, but people are still using these because the option is there in OpenWRT and stuff because the hardware supports it. Well, there's there's a real simple answer to this. Just run a huge ass antenna. You, you know, tune to those frequencies, tune to those channels. You find someone running those, triangulate them, and send them a fucking cease and desist. Don't ruin it for everybody else. OpenWRT does a really fantastic thing. It turns home-end routers into, like, what they should be. <laughs> you know, like, a fully extensible, actual router, you know? Something that doesn't suck. And I will be absolutely disheartened if if it goes through but the other the other thing they've complained about is people modifying the power amplitude the power output of their antenna it's supposed to be three watts in the u.s and uh people are going a little bit above that which breaks fcc standard for the 802.11 spec so i mean i don't think it's really a huge deal though i i don't either i i think the number of people well for, well, I mean, for one, you could cook your own router. You could hook your cook your radio chip. Oh, whatever, that's um, your fucking problem. That is your that is your problem. But the, they say that so that you don't over congest, you know, a, a metro metropolitan area or something like that. Yeah, whatever. Because your signal is going to be the strongest one out of all of them if you're pumping that much juice to it. Um, really, what they should do is open up other frequencies. Open up like twelve, uh, thirteen through sixteen. You know, let us use those. That'll desaturate the network because people will switch to those and you won't have to worry about this whole bullshit. And, you know, like, I don't I don't understand what the big deal What's is. What's more disappointing is that it's going to hurt people outside the U.S. Yeah, because absolutely. If your router is made here, it's going to be prone to those same sort of things. 
Well, if you're well, I mean, I don't know of any company that actually makes their right, right, right. routers but, here in the U.S. Uh, but like, if they did, potentially, the hardware would be physically limited to those channels. If you're in Japan, you're shit out of luck. You know, you can't use channel 16 if it was made here. There are a lot of U.S. developers on OpenWRT. You know, a lot of U.S. users, a lot of a lot of mesh networks. You can say goodbye to wireless mesh networks if, if this is done. Like, I know that may not seem a big deal to everyone, but think about this. This is more than just a hacker thing, right? This is more than just board hackers doing on rooftops of their neighbors. This is a corporate thing. Do you realize how much of the corporate mesh networks out there are actually based on OpenWRT code? Do you realize? Like, almost all of them. <laughs> so this is like, goodbye to campus wireless. Well, let's put it that way. Goodbye to campus wireless. It's stupid. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting so angry about it. Do you have any input on that? Yeah, like, I don't feel as strongly as you do. It doesn't rile me as much, I guess, but I understand what you're saying. Um, if, I'm riled. Well, yeah, OpenWRT, it's, it's a huge deal. They contribute to all kinds of projects indirectly, I guess. Yeah. And ultimately, this is just a way to drive developers and stuff away from that, too, so... Well, I, I think I saved the uh, the most fun one for last. Yep, so. I know uh, where I stand on this last one. I think I do, too. Um, so, programming languages and relevance to a sysadmin or systems engineer. So, first and foremost, state your favorite one out of our list here. Out of our list here? It's number I'm three, gonna, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It, it's Bash. Um because it's the most portable. Don't you think that that's a scripting language more than a programming language? Though? It is. It, it is. But you know what? So is Perl and Python. And PowerShell. Ah, uh, damn. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Python. Four out, of the, four out of the five we have on that list are scripting languages. So, you know, quote-unquote programming languages. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in quotes. But yeah, so I, I'm not even a Windows admin, so PowerShell has no bearing on me. Yep, I've never um, used it, don't know anything about it, probably sucks. I've used it a little bit. <laughs> I've used it a little bit in my pa- in uh, one of my past jobs. It's, uh, it's all right. You can tell that they're really trying to make an effort to provide a usable shell in the Windows environment. Um, I definitely think it's it's got some, some way to go before it can rival Bash, though. Um, and you will see Windows admins like, preach the glory of powershell probably because they never really actually sat down and learned bash <laughs> but uh it is absolutely an improvement over the command shell for sure also on our list we have perl python bash uh, powershell which we said and c and c plus um i counted c and c plus as the same they're technically different but they're close enough where they could be the same whatever they're also the only actual programming languages on our list yeah more or less I'd, I'd say if you're really proficient in C, you knock yourself out. Write everything in C and because then you can make it with like static libraries built in and it will literally run just about anywhere you want. Yeah. So C, that would probably be ideal. I'm horrible at C, so I, I just stick to Bash. Right, and that's the same reason that I flock to Python is because I'm most proficient in Python at this point. Right. And so right. for me, if I have like something that comes up and I want to whip something up quickly, that's my go-to. And I think for you, that's probably pretty similar with Bash. Oh, yeah. I can I can have something written in Bash in, in seconds. I have been trying to focus more on Python lately, trying to learn it, especially since I'm in a Python shop now. You know, I mean, that's... I just I just forgot what I was talking about because Allie walked in. <laughs> you can you can stay. I'm, I'm going to cut this part right, out. I'm going to make some mac and cheese. Do you want some? Oh, my God. I want mac oh, and cheese. Okay. <laughs> 
No, that's okay. Sorry. That's alright, I'll cut that out. Um, You're talking about trying to Python... Right, yeah, I'm trying to learn Python because the... You know, like, I work at a Python shop, basically, and it not only helps being able to learn how to modify that kind of stuff or, or make bug fixes and things like that, but... Also, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of stuff is starting to move towards Python, you know? A lot of more Python modules are being included by default. I mean, just about every Linux package manager uses Python, so it's usually installed by default. I like to not rely on it because then you start relying on Python packages that aren't installed by default. Whereas with core utils, you can do 90% of what you want to do anyways, you know, in, in Linux and Bash. So that's I'm still having problems giving up my bash addiction so far but i mean i think i can see myself moving to python yeah i think that's fair pearl i think is on its way out yeah i, I usually just frown at people that use pearl pearl will never die i i feel confident saying that but its role in assistive manager's toolkit is by and large not there not as important i think well it used to oh it used to be used to absolutely be. yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the late Unix days, in the you know the early to mid Linux days, I mean, it was hugely important. It was it was super uh, super important. Um, but I think now it's it's just kind of taken a backseat, which is cool. I mean, there's still a lot of pro mongers around, and they're brilliant guys. But I just think the language just can't really compare to Python. You know? No, oh, that's sure. I mean, it may run faster, but it may be safer, and it may be. Uh, well, safer is object is kind of subjective because it it can also make thing ma let you do things a lot more easily like escape ch roots and stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's. I just think it's on its way out. Yeah, you know, I feel the same way. I mean, for me, being a few years behind you, both in terms of age and in terms of experience, yeah. I never even had that exposure to Pearl that you probably had. I only got minimal exposure to it, and I haven't used it since. So I, I promptly forget forgot all I know about Perl. Mm -hmm. I can I can maybe try and read it, you know, but ask me to write it or fix a Perl script. I'm like, forget it. I can probably fix a fix a Python script if I really really need to and have a bit of time. But Pyth like Perl, no way. Right. I don't know. So yeah, we we'd love to hear back from you. I should I wish I had like a dedicated site for running polls. That'd be cool. So we would be like, oh, hit our poll page There's and probably tell us which a way we could do that in like two seconds. Yeah, I don't feel like implementing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for maybe maybe next season. Add it to the to do list. Yeah, so I don't know. I think I'm. Uh, I think. Yeah, I here. think that we were uh, pretty pretty concise. We didn't get off on too many tangents and. Look up at that. We're like we're like an hour exactly. Yeah, and hopefully um, I didn't just ramble on about config management in a way that was not meaningful. Uh, that wasn't my intent, but I. Dude, I I had like two big rants this episode. You're I think you're entitled to at least one. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, well, this has been Sysadministrivia. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. We'll see you around.